Thank you, Abby. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 11. It's no wonderful. I was thinking as Abby was singing that song, that Jesus said, I am the living water. He told the woman at Samaria at the well, I'll give you living water and you'll never thirst again. In John chapter 6, he told the crowds, I am the bread of life. And so with the hunger and the thirsting that you have for God, to know him, for that depth of spiritual understanding and those needs, the answers to those questions that you have in your soul, Jesus Christ is both the bread of life and the living water. He alone can satisfy those needs. And so this morning as we come to Acts chapter 11, we'll begin in verse 19 and go through the end of the chapter. We're going to be seeing a a transition this morning from the church, a kind of a, maybe might say it this way, operational headquarters, uh, beginning to transition from Jerusalem to this city, Antioch. The Great Commission, we see this actually playing out and we've seen it being played out in the story up to this point in Acts chapter 2 we see on the day of Pentecost that Jerusalem is reached with the gospel and then Judea in the first few chapters and we come to Acts chapter 8 and we see uh, Philip going into Samaria preaching the gospel to the Samaritans remember that in Acts chapter 1 8 ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and we've seen that and now under the uttermost parts of the earth and even as we've been studying the last few weeks in in Acts chapters 10 and the first half of Acts chapter 11 we see the gateway of the gospel being open to the Gentiles was God prepares Peter, prepares Cornelius, and, and, and Luke spends um, much of this uh, book of Acts on this one focus, pivotal point, because now we transition in the gospel going to the Gentiles, and Acts will begin to focus more on the Apostle Paul's ministry. And so we're at a very pivotal point in the story of the early church here in Acts chapter 11 this morning. And so we're going to be seeing this expansion. You know, uh, sometimes if you're into sports, um, the NFL, um, sometimes we'll try to have expansion teams. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Like the Memphis Hound Dogs, that didn't work out too well back in the early 90s. Uh, and, uh, and there are other expansion teams that have worked very well. Look in Major League Baseball and you'll see there's a couple of expansion teams uh, that have done very well. Do you know, as God has a plan for expanding his church, for the furtherance and the growth of his kingdom we see this point here in acts chapter 11 the expansion of the church again uh when peter comes back to the church at jerusalem and many of them were challenging peter why did you go in and preach to these uncircumcised gentiles peter saying hey listen this is not my idea for expanding the church and growing the church this is This isn't something I did of my own initiative. The Spirit of God that led me and the Spirit of God, I mean, God sent an angel to Cornelius to come seeking after me. And God, and he tells all the specifics how God orchestrated all of this and how God was teaching the Apostle Peter. So I'm not to call unsavable those whom God deems to be savable. And if you look through the Old Testament, you see time and again throughout the Old Testament that God's intention always was that there would be salvation through the Messiah, not only for the people of Israel, for the Jews, but for the entire world. 
And now we begin to see here this transition as, as we begin to see God reach these Gentiles in large numbers at Antioch. Let me tell you a little bit about Antioch. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Only Rome and Alexandria were larger and had more influence in all the Roman Empire than Antioch. Antioch, it's estimated, conservative estimates put the population at around 500,000. Uh, many uh, historians put it at around 800,000. So somewhere in that range. It was a large city. As a matter of fact, it actually had been four cities. Each of them had their own separate defense system. And by the time of this account, there was an outer wall that surrounded all four cities to make them into one city. And there were two main roads that intersected, dividing these four cities. But otherwise, it was the whole area of Antioch. It had about 19 miles away from it. It had a huge harbor. Um, and so it was a place of great business and commerce. It was also uh, uh, ref- known for its refined culture um, and art. Matter of fact, Cicero compliments Antioch on the wealth of art and literature that was there. And yet, along with this advanced civilization, as we would call it, in in art and in literature and in business, it was also known for its great immorality. And so much so that one of the Caesars talked about, because the Orontes River flowed uh, through uh, or by Antioch, and so one of the Caesars said that, the, that the, the immorality flowed from the Orontes River down to the Tiber, which, of course, runs down uh, right near Rome. And so he's talking about how there was a moral influence even on Rome from Antioch. In the city of Antioch, there were about 25,000 Jews. And so they were very used to God-fearers and proselytes, Gentiles who were interested in Jehovah God coming and beginning to be taught and to listen and to come in the synagogue. So they were already more used to that. And so it was the perfect place for the church, which remember to this point had been comprised mainly of Jews. Maybe some Samaritans were Jews and Gentiles, right? For the, for the church to grow. And literally what happens is Antioch actually established a powerful school of theology And it became literally the new kind of center for the church. And it was actually the jumping off point for reaching Europe and the rest of the empire with the gospel. And so let's look this morning in Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19, as Luke, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us this account. Now they that were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phineas, which is Phoenicia, and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word, but none unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. So the first thing I want you to see is the expansion of the church through evangelism. Scattered believers proclaimed the gospel. We see this back in Acts chapter 8. Then they which were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Now these folks were running from from their lives being threatened and from the danger of the persecution that came upon the church in Jerusalem. But they were not running in fear. 
And though it was right for them to leave and to protect their families and to seek safety, it was also right of them to proclaim the word. They did not, out of fear, stay silent saying, man, if we start sharing that we're Christians, we're going to start facing persecution here. No, wherever they went, they were proclaiming the word. And so this kind of traces here, Luke traces in these first three verses or so, up, up, kind of up the coast uh, into Phoenicia and, and up this way and then up to Antioch. By the way, Antioch was about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. Okay, So we see that the gospel is spreading. Men of Cyprus and Cyrene, Jewish believers from those regions would have been Hellenistic Jews. They were a little more open uh, by the way that they had been raised and the exposure to Greek and Roman culture to proclaiming the gospel to Gentiles more than, say, the Hebraic Jews, which would have been uh, in Jerusalem and the Judea area. And so it's these believers from Cyprus and Cyrene who come over to Antioch, and at first uh, we see being traced that the believers, when they were going into, into uh, Phoenicia and they were going into Cyprus and these places, began by proclaiming the gospel to the Jews. Even Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles, we see that was his pattern. When he would go to a new city, he would go to the Jewish population first. He would go to the synagogues and for two or three weeks on the Sabbath, he would proclaim Christ in those synagogues. Paul had a great desire to reach his Jewish brethren. Though Paul was the apostle of the Gentiles, he had not given up hope on his Jewish brethren being turned to Christ for salvation. Matter of fact, in Romans 10, he said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And while we have a heart for missions and we fund missions and we go on mission trips and and we want to encourage our missionaries, we do not give up hope that God still has a work of revival and a great awakening in our own country. And we need to labor towards that. But as folks are sent out wherever they were scattered, the believers were proclaiming the word. Hey, you know what? The Bunces are moving to Greenville. And though you say, yeah, there is a fundamental independent Baptist church on almost every corner in Greenville, that's a misconception. That's not true. And Greenville is a growing, I mean, it is a massively growing area. And there's all kinds of Yankees that need to be (laughs) evangelized by the Southern missionaries with the gospel. (laughs) Folks, there are great needs. And you know what? The ministry that Scott had as a deacon here, as the head of our frontline ministry, and Cindy working with the children's ministries and and working as youth sponsors and all the other things that they have learned and done and invested in our church. We're so grateful for that. But all of that that God taught them and how God used them here, they're able to take that there and proclaim the gospel and minister to lives and disciple people. And you know, folks, we need to rejoice in that. And you know what? Wherever God scatters us, wherever we work, wherever we go in the community, you know, sometimes God scatters us through emergencies. There was a time when my, my dad was driving um, back from a week of revival meetings. He was, way, he was up in the Midwest somewhere, you know, evangelizing the Yankees. And, um, and he had a diesel pickup truck and he pulled into a gas station and he grabbed a green handle because that's normally the color of a diesel uh, fuel and he filled up his truck and realized afterwards it was gasoline. You can't do that. You'll blow up your engine. Okay. And so he had to call one of these flatbed trucks 
And the, and these two guys came and took him, I forget where, it was like 300 miles from where he was, home. And, you know, here's my dad sitting in between these two guys in a truck for all these hours. And guess what my dad did? Man, my dad was witnessing to them because my dad saw that as a divine appointment. How about you? There, there were times in evangelism where I would, though I had a diesel truck, I always kept an extra can of diesel in my bed because I didn't know if I wasn't going to make it between where I was and the next gas station, especially as you begin to go out west. But I also kept a five-gallon can of gasoline in the back of my truck. And the reason was if I saw somebody that was out of gas, I was able to pull to the side of the road. I was able to put gas in their vehicle, give them a gospel track, have a word of prayer with them, and plant the seed of the gospel. And God gave us many opportunities to do that. There were times Cameron uh, and I, we had so many tires that would blow out on our trailer. We were like a NASCAR pit crew. We could change a tire on a trailer in two minutes flat. You know, and uh, there were times when we would see other RVs off the side of the road and uh, flat tire and we could pull off and come back and help. And uh, Cameron and I could, man, we could get stuff done. Uh, but it opened up opportunities for the sake of the gospel. And so wherever God puts you, whatever circumstances, wherever God scatters you, folks, it may be completely unexpected to you from your perspective, but it's not from God's. And wherever you are scattered for whatever reason, if God puts you in the hospital, man, I love Steve Minio's testimony. Uh, his spirit and his demeanor and the relationships that he has built with medical staff at Emory. And he's had opportunities to share the gospel and his testimony because his response is of the supernatural grace of God. And, and the, I'm not praising Steve. I'm praising God. But I'm also just using Steve as an illustration of how a person who allow the grace of God to, to supernaturally strengthen and minister them and give them a mindset that goes beyond just their own physical medical issues and say this is a mission field and a divine opportunity that wherever God can scatter you, get scatter you, whether it's in a hospital or the side of the road helping somebody in an emergency or he moves you to another state and a new job, you're in a mission field wherever you go. That's what these believers understood and that needs to be our mindset. And it's the Lord's power that worked in his people. I love the wording. Look at me with me very carefully. Look at verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them. Folks, we need to be vessels that are fit for the master's use. We are instruments for him to use. The hand of the Lord was this. I picture this like that God's divine hand, the hand of God. Picked these people up like a vessel and he poured out the gospel through their lives. Or he picked them up as a gospel scalpel. And he began to do spiritual surgery in the hearts of these unbelieving Gentiles. So the hand of the Lord was with him. Folks, you can't save anybody. You can't convince anybody to get saved. You and I are merely the vessels. We are the tools. We're the instruments. Now, folks, that doesn't excuse us from being prepared. Every Christian ought to be so intimately familiar with the gospel and with a few gospel verses that you ought to be able to share the gospel with anybody at any time in any place. And by the way, one of the most powerful gospel witnesses that you can give is your own testimony of salvation. But we don't rely on our preparation, our expertise, or our experience. It must be the hand of God. And the hand of the Lord was with them. 
And if we will walk with Christ, and if we will be sensitive to the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and if we'll be men and women of prayer and of the Word, the hand of the Lord will be with us, and He'll strengthen us, and He'll give us boldness so that we can witness for Christ. And then equip us to disciple the believers because we see Barnabas' ministry of strengthening the believers at Antioch once they get saved. And the Bible says that a number of them believed and turned to the Lord. What is that? That is repentance and faith. Have you repented? Have you had a change of attitude and mind about your sin, that it's not innocent fun, that it's no big deal, that you won't be held accountable before a holy God because everybody else is doing it, and so it's no big deal? Will you realize that your sin is filthy and wicked and it's a crime against a holy God punishable by eternal death? which is exactly what you deserve according to God's holiness and justice for your sin. Well, you recognize that there's not enough good in you to earn any merit with God. And nothing you can do or say can give you eternal life except that you put your dependence completely and only upon the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. For the Apostle John tells us in John chapter 1, but as many as received him to those who accept and understand that Jesus is the Son of God, who died on the cross, shed his blood, was buried, and rose again, and is the only hope of eternal life. And when you receive, you enter into that personal faith relationship by putting your trust in Christ and receiving him into your life. As many as received him, to them gave he power, authority, to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. There must be repentance and faith. Turn from your self-reliance. Turn from your attitude that sin is no big deal. Realize that Jesus Christ suffered unspeakable agony and paid the ultimate price for you in his suffering so that you could be cleansed from your sin and have eternal life. Turn to him today. Number two, I want you to see not only the expansion of the church through evangelism, but the equipping of the church through teaching. You know, the Great Commission does not stop with sharing the gospel. Matthew 28, 19, the Bible says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. We know that baptism comes after a person is saved. It's not part of salvation. It's not the culmination of salvation. It is a testimony that a person has been saved. It is a public declaration that that person is committing to being a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And it is that first step of obedience on that lifelong journey of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And then teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, Jesus said. And so that is that discipleship aspect. And so we see the equipping of the church through teaching. The Bible says that the Jerusalem church sent Barnabas. If you look with me in verse 22, then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church that was in Jerusalem. Notice that immediately they send Barnabas. They don't say, bring Barnabas, you know, bring somebody from Antioch to confirm. Remember when Peter came back and he begins, they had heard that Cornelius, some of these, in his household, some of these Gentiles had trusted Christ. And they're like, wait a minute, they're not proselytes. You know, that they haven't accepted, they haven't embraced Judaism first. You know, and they're challenging Peter on that, right? And so we see God in his perfect timing first had Peter go to Cornelius. Matter of fact, it wasn't Peter's idea, it was God's idea. And Peter makes that very clear. Remember the vision on the housetop? with the sheet that came down with the clean and unclean animals in it. And God had to repeat that three times. 
And as Peter was still not exactly sure what that meant, the Spirit of God said, three men have come to see you. Go down to them, go with them, because I have sent them. So God is working in Peter, and then Peter's testimony to the church of Jerusalem. And then what was the response of the church of Jerusalem? Wow, they were amazed and they were excited that God was extending the offer of salvation to the Gentiles also. So that is now where the Jerusalem church is. So they're not questioning that. They're not challenging that. They're not concerned about that. But they want to send Barnabas to help. They want to see that, hey, listen, because, of, because the church is not just about giving the gospel. It's also about equipping and maturing believers. And that's why they send Barnabas, the son of consolation. Matter of fact, Barnabas was from Cyprus. He was a Hellenistic Jew. So he fit this culture and these people. He would know how to understand their mindset and how to teach them and help them to grow as they began to have a renewing of their minds. The word of God would be taught to them. And Barnabas, the son of encouragement or consolation, he was a man that was spirit-filled. He was a man of integrity. He was a man of discernment. He was a man that was equipped to help encourage and mature the saints at Antioch. So look at this. This is so wonderful. Look at this in verse 23. Speaking of Barnabas, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them. And with all purpose of heart, they would cleave unto the Lord. Several things about this. Barnabas rejoiced to see God's saving grace. One Bible scholar observed, In whatever gathering of Christians we associate ourselves with, it is important that others be able to see the grace of God among us. They should not see an emphasis on self, on man-made rules, on human performance, but on the glorious grace of God of God. Wouldn't it be interesting if back to the connection point, I had an evaluation sheet for our guests. <laughs> and one of the questions on there was, did you see or experience the grace of God through our church family today? How obvious was it on a scale of one to 10? Folks, the grace of God, that supernatural work that he had done in lives, the spirit, the demeanor, the way that they treated each other. These are all baby Christians. The only, buddy, the only people that had any spiritual maturity to them at all were the folks that came from Cyprus and Cyrene to evangelize them. And certainly I believe they had some spiritual maturity and teaching. But the church at Jerusalem said there needs to be some leadership that we can trust that can teach the teachers and, and, and disciple these new believers and bring this church to maturity and to equip them for the ministry, so they sent Barnabas, an encourager, a man of integrity and discernment, and a man who rejoiced to see folks saved. Barnabas kept encouraging them to purposefully remain loyal to Christ and to cling to him, to cling to Christ. He's exhorting them. And when it says that, that this is what Barnabas is exhorting them, I believe it's kind of the, 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 his theme, the thematic teaching, at least for the first few weeks there. And I think it became one of those constant reminders. Kind of like sometimes some will refer and will say, well, you know what Pastor Sweat used to always say? And then they'll quote one of Pastor Sweat's quotes that he would often insert in a message. Because those things that God teaches us 
and reminds us become a part of our thinking. They become thematic in our ministry. And it's not just a single mantra kind of a thing. It's just that there are certain things God teaches us in such a distilled form that it readily comes to our mind. And then as we're preaching and sharing that, it's things that get repeated that come to your mind. So as you can say, oh yeah, and just like Pastor Sweat used to always say, I see how this applies. And God's Holy Spirit can bring that to your mind and it can be a help. So also, I believe that's what it's talking about here with Barnabas. This is what he was saying them. Cling to the Lord. Keep your dependence on him. Don't, don't follow me. Follow Christ. I'm going to try to help you learn how to grow in Christ likeness and, and strengthen your fellowship with him. I want to equip you in the word of God. But don't rely on your knowledge. Don't rely on me. Rely on Christ. Cling to him. Remain loyal to him. What a theme. Christ only, always being everything. But the church was growing to the point where Barnabas knew he needed help. And so look with me a little further. The Bible says, for he was a good man. And that word good, it's interesting. That word good means, it's the word for benevolent. So it means that he was generous, but it also means he was very thoughtful. There are some people that may not have a lot of money, but they are very thoughtful. They're writing notes of encouragement. They're serving any way they can. They see a need. They seek to meet it. They seek to encourage some of them who have means or whatever limited means they have available will also use those financial means or other material needs to encourage and to strengthen and to help meet the needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and Barnabas was that kind of a man. That's what it means by good. Not only that he was a man of good character and of integrity, But he reflected the goodness, the generosity, the kindness of our Heavenly Father. And so should we. And he kept on encouraging them. But but Barnabas was also a man of humility. To the point he realized, hey, I need help. Look at this. Look at the story with me. Then, verse 25, departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, brought him unto Antioch. Now, that may just sound like a minor relation, uh, relating of a detail, but let me tell you, the word for seek and found indicate a thorough search. The idea is that Barnabas went to Tarsus. So remember, about 10 years before this, Paul, when he had come back to Jerusalem after being three years um, out in kind of in the wilderness area, comes back and spends a couple of weeks with the apostles. And man, he's preaching and he's confounding the Jews uh, with the Old Testament scriptures, proclaiming Christ as Messiah, and he's going to face persecution. And so what do they do? The Christians there, to protect him from death, get him back up to Tarsus. And so for these 10 years, I believe that Paul's not just sitting idly by. I believe he's learning and being discipled. But I believe that he is serving and reaching others and discipling others. And God is growing and preparing him for this huge ministry he's going to be, have as the apostle to the Gentiles. And, and Barnabas, and, and, and think with me about this, because he was so busy, he said, you know what? He could have said, you know, I can handle it. It's all right. You know, it's not going to be perfect. But he realized, no, I need to go get help. That, that is a spirit of humility. That is, that is discernment for a leader to realize, I need to go get more help. And he realized it was worth me leaving the ministry whatever time it takes to go find Saul of Tarsus, find him, recruit him, bring him back to help me for the good of of this church at Antioch. And so he thoroughly searches for him till he finds him. And then he brings him back and they are partners in ministry together. But you know, I believe because Barnabas knew according to Saul's own testimony, that God was appointing him 
to be the apostle to the Gentiles. So you see that not only is Barnabas, because Barnabas could have said, hey man, look at this. I mean, here I am in the third most uh, important city and largest city in the whole Roman Empire. The church of Jerusalem sends me up here to lead this church. I can pastor this church of thousands of people in a growing church and in a growing area. And, and, and I can train my own leadership. And, uh, but he was not about building his own kingdom. He was about building the kingdom of Christ. And part of that included that he took a man named Saul, recruited him, partnered with him in ministry, and I believe continues to kind of mentor Saul and partner with Saul as an equal co-laborer in investing in the church at Antioch. I believe God had given Barnabas insight to realize Antioch is going to be the jumping off place. It was the logical place as the gateway to the West, to Europe, to give the gospel. And as Paul was going to be, Saul later Paul was going to be the apostle of the Gentiles, it just made sense. And so that's who, that's who Barnabas went after. He goes after and he recruits him because he knew he needed help. And now look at this. The equipping of the church through teaching. Here's what they do together. The Bible says, and when he found him, verse 26, he brought him to Antioch and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Some things that I want you to notice that I trust will be an encouragement and a challenge to you. God's people assembled as a church and Paul and Silas taught the assembly of the believers. The word here for church is a word that means con- to congregate, to assemble together. All right? It is, it is used in other places in Scripture for assembly. Matter of fact, matter, later on in the book of Acts, you remember when there's a riot, when the silversmiths think our trade is going to be in jeopardy? Here, here's Paul and these people, and they're preaching, and people are getting saved, and there's all these Christians, and they're not worshiping our great goddess Diana anymore or Artemis. And uh, we're going to lose our trade because that's what we do. We make these silver little images and people buy them. That's how we make our living. You know, the worship of this great goddess is being threatened. Greatest Diana of the Ephesians, you know. And, and they start this riot and they, and they congregate. And there's this huge mob. And the clerk of the city gets up and he says, Listen, you are in jeopardy this day for assembling together. It's the same word here for church. And so the idea is that we assemble together under a common purpose for specific reasons. And that's why I'm going to encourage those of you that are watching by way of live stream. If you are not in our Atlanta area where you can come and actually be physically a part of our church, I would encourage you to prayerfully look for, and even if you have to travel some distance, travel some distance to a gospel preaching church that's faithful to Christ and to his word that you may actually be a physical part. We're honored to be able to have a ministry to folks that may be in your position. But you need to be a part of a local church. We need to assemble together. We thank the Lord for modern technology and that we can have live stream and that we can have sermon audio. But those things are supplements. You miss out on the value of fellowshipping together, of interacting with one another. It is a place where you can actively serve the Lord in so many different capacities. Here, there's so much you miss when you don't assemble and congregate together. Even you just joining by way of live stream, 
for corporate worship is not the same as being here for corporate worship. And I know for some that are watching by the way of live stream, maybe there's physical limitations that cause you to kind of be shut in and you're very limited in your mobility. There may be other extenuating circumstances. I know a lot of our missionaries want to join in with our church in worship. And so they, that's the only way that they can do that. And we're thankful that they can. But folks, and I know there's a sense in which I'm preaching to the choir because y'all are here. <laughs> And that's why I'm addressing the folks by way of live stream. But we need to be a part of a local assembly, an active part of a local assembly. Their church, God, God's people assemble as his church. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16, I want you to see this, and I've underlined some passages, some phrases in this passage that I, that I just want you to see, all right? In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16, and he gave some apostles, that would have been like Paul and Peter, some of the other apostles, and prophets. You say, Pastor Todd, are there prophets today? Yes. Say, oh, wait a minute. What do you mean? I mean this way. To prophesy is to proclaim God's word. A prophet said, thus saith the Lord. Amen? So a prophet proclaims God's word. What also did a prophet proclaim? Future events. Do we not have prophecy that has not yet been fulfilled in the scriptures? And aren't there gifted men of God who are able to teach and preach accurately with proper biblical application prophecy of scripture that exhorts and encourages and challenges and equips the church absolutely so there is that sense i believe in which we have now not that because we're now with agabus remember the holy spirit through the apostles and the prophets spoke to them and they spoke and said thus saith the, the lord and they inscripturated or wrote down the word of god so we have the divinely inspired, eternally preserved word of God. Right? But during this time, they did not have the completed scriptures. And so, apparently, God had gifted through the ministry of the Holy Spirit prophets to also foretell things not found directly in the scripture. And Agabus was one of them. He said, look, there's a great famine that's going to come upon the Roman Empire didn't all happen at every place exactly at the same time. And that's why Luke is able to write. He's writing and saying it was during this particular Caesar's reign in which this happened. But Agabus is able to say this is coming. And we'll look at the importance of that in a couple of minutes. But God's given some apostles and some prophets now. And some evangelists. That, I believe, is an office for today. And pastors and teachers. Look at this, for the perfecting of the saints. What's perfecting mean? Maturing. So maturing in an understanding of the word, maturing into the image of Christ, and maturing in service for Christ. That's all included in that idea of perfecting, for the perfecting of the saints. Now, in the Greek, there are not the commas. So this is not a checklist for pastors. Pastors are, to, are given to perfect the saints, do the work of the ministry, edify the body of Christ. Look at it as if it has no commas. All right. And this will almost sound like a run on sentence, but God has given pastors and teachers. He gave the apostles in this early new Testament era 
for the maturing of the saints so that they can do the work of the ministry, thus building up the body of Christ. Then I doesn't exempt. Bar- I mean, Barnabas was witnessing to people. Saul was preaching and witnessing to people. Uh, he was discipling believers on a personal basis. It's not that we're going to teach you how to do it, and that's all our job, but we together are doing this work of the ministry. But God has given to the church, and that word church is congregation, assembly, to come together for a specific purpose under a common, common cause. And Christ is our cause. He is our common bond. And we have been given a mission as a church. Therefore, it is through the ministry of local churches that God has sought to do these things through those who he has called to these ministries. Continuing on. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. What is the faith? That is the embodiment of Bible doctrine or truth. Okay? So the idea is that we submit our opinions and ideas and perspectives to the whole counsel of Scripture as interpreted by the context of the Scripture. So that there is a unity in doctrine. We agree on the clear teachings of Scripture. And then, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. He is the one that we are to be alike. Therefore, we need to know all we can about Him. And we need to know all we can of Him in our personal fellowship with Him. So, given to help us in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect, there it is, a mature man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what does a mature Christian look like? Christ. Then, continuing on, henceforth we be no more children. And the idea there is immature or gullible. Okay? We henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by slight of men. And cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking of the truth and love, look at this, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So we are continuing to mature in our character into Christ. And as we mature in our character into Christ, it means we talk like Christ. We prioritize like Christ. We proactively choose like Christ. We react like Christ. We think like Christ. That's what it means to grow up into the image of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what a mature Christian looks like. And every one of us are growing. Yesterday at the memorial service, my, I'm the oldest and I've got two younger brothers and, and my sister's the youngest. We each got to share testimonies about our Grammy Ealing. And uh, my, it's kind of a funny thing. My sister, her husband is the pastor of the church there. So my sister was my grandma's pastor's wife. And she would share how that my grandma, even in her mid to late 90s, because my grandma didn't go into the nursing home after she broke her hip till she was 99 and a half. But how it was difficult for my grandma to get ready. She said that my grandma would, on Saturday night, she'd put her hair up in curlers. She'd get all her clothes ready. She'd get everything ready. She'd spend a couple of hours on Saturday night getting ready. Then she'd get up early and take her another couple of hours to get ready to get to church. And she'd go Sunday morning, Sunday night, and as many Wednesday nights as she could go in her 90s. And that, and Jennifer said, when I would sit next to her and she would sing, it was not to be heard. It was praise to God. It was sincere worship. And she loved God's people and she, she loved the Lord. She loved being with God's people. And Jennifer said, 
You know, there were times when I felt like, and I'm the pastor's wife, she would say, and when I felt like, man, I don't want to have to go to church today. She would remember all the effort my grandma would go through because she wanted to be in church and worship with God's people. But here's an interesting thing she said, and she said that my grandma, after the service, as my sister would take her home, she would talk and say, man, that was a wonderful message. You know, this is what God showed me today. And it was just kind of a normal part of their conversations, but one day it hit my sister. Here's my grandma, 90-something years of age, who was still growing in Christ and still learning him. Man, shouldn't that be a challenge to us? How much maybe we still have to learn and to know about our Savior? I just thought that was so amazing. And you know what, folks? We have not yet reached that maturity yet. We need to keep pursuing Christ. 2 Timothy 3, 16 says, well, let me, let me, let me finish um, the Ephesians 4 passage. Got a little ahead of myself. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. In other words, the whole body contributes to the growth of the maturity of the rest of the body. And that means, though we are individuals, we are all part of the body of Christ. That means when you are not here investing in your brothers and sisters in Christ, you are slowing or hindering the growth of the ministry here. You are, you are, let me put it this way. Have you noticed when a part of your body is not functioning exactly correctly? I'll use a dumb illustration, all right? Football season's coming up. Yes, go Clemson. And uh, I had to sneak that in there. And, uh, and so you're watching football, right, on a Saturday afternoon, and you've been watching and having your snacks, and all of a sudden, and a commercial comes on, and you think, bathroom break, and you get up out of your easy chair, or you try, but guess what? Your leg's gone to sleep, or your foot's gone to sleep. And what happens, man? You get up, and, you know, you're doing this, right? And you're hitting your leg, and you're trying to walk. The rest of your body functions just fine. But this one part is kind of hindering you. When I, in, in 2000, my gallbladder had to come out. It was destroyed. And it was affecting the rest of my body and my health. You would have similar illustrations or story, I'm sure, where there have been times when part of your body was incapacitated and you realized how much it was hurting and how it was hindering the rest of the body. And so, folks, when this ministry is accomplished and believers are matured and equipped and are doing the work of the ministry and are maturing and are growing in Christ's likeness, then the body itself helps the rest of the body grow. And as a vital part of this church body, you need to be here to be a part and make your investment. So I've got a question for you. How are you functioning within this local church body right now? Because it's important that you function. When an organ in the body, when a member of the body is not functioning properly, the whole body suffers and cannot accomplish what it otherwise could. You're important. You're important to God. You're important to this local church. You're important to the body of Christ. Be busy serving him. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine 
for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And that, or in order that the man of God, the believer, may be perfect, mature, thoroughly furnished, completely equipped unto every good work. Let's say that I say, hey, I got a lot of miles, uh, airline miles with Delta. And there's a really cool place on Oahu called Paradise Bay. And there's a really cool guy who's a believer there who rents out paddle boards. And so he'll instruct people on that beach. And as he's instructing them, he kind of works his testimony in. And he just tried to build connection with people. And let's say that I say, I've got enough airline miles. I want to take you out there to Hawaii, to Paradise Bay, and we're going to get on these paddle boards. We're going to go out because it's a bay, so it's, it's not wavy. It's pretty still. And you can see sea turtles and, uh, and, and all kinds of cool exotic fish there. It's so much fun. I want you to go with me. And so we go out there. And we get out there and... Uh, and we, we listen to the instruction, we get all excited, but I'm only half listening because I've already heard him make this speech several times, right? And so I'm not really listening. I grab my paddle board. I say, come on, let's go. And I jump on the paddle board. And you look at me like I've kind of lost my mind because I didn't grab a paddle. I'm not going to go very far. It's called a paddle board for a reason. I'm not going to go anywhere. I can't really utilize that board because I'm not completely equipped, Right? with the paddle that I need. And you know what? You need to be under consistently the preaching and teaching and ministry of the Word of God so that you can be thoroughly furnished to all good works. Let me put in a plug for our Sunday school. May I? Let me encourage you to be here for Sunday school. I know that it's going to be an investment and an inconvenience and you have to plan. It might mean getting to bed earlier on a Saturday night and foregoing something fun, quote-unquote in order to invest in your spiritual life so that you can be the community of a Sunday school class and be under some teaching of the Word of God. Some of you may not normally come on Sunday nights. Uh, I would encourage you to be here tonight so that you can hear Pastor Sweat teach on marriage and the family. It will equip you that you may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works, including the ministry that you have within your marriage and with your family. September 10th, we're going to start something called uh, a Bible Institute on Sunday nights for six weeks. And so Pastor Sweat's going to teach through the book of Ephesians. I'm going to teach a course on discipleship and being a discipler. Uh, Andy Curlis is going to teach on apologetics. And David Troster is starting the Financial Peace University class then. Come and invest and be a part of that so that you have your paddle to go with a paddleboard. So that you can be fully equipped to every good work. Let me just encourage you in that. Say, why are you encouraging me? Because it's scriptural. It's what we see happened at Antioch. And we say, man, I'd love to see people saved and I'd like to see the church grow and I'd like to see their maturity. I'd like there to be so much grace of the God so evident in our church that when somebody comes in, they say, hallelujah, look at the supernatural power and goodness and love of God. It's displayed everywhere at Berean Baptist Church. It ain't gonna happen if you're not here to be a part of it and you don't get your paddle. Because you're not fully equipped. All right. I'll get off that hobby horse and get back to the passage. And this goes along with it. God communicates his truth to his church. But I want you to see the effect. Because think back through with me. The expansion of the church through evangelism. Believers. Jews. Hellenistic Jews. 
who were saved say there's this huge city right across this strait of the Mediterranean Sea in the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Man, it's ripe for the gospel. Let's go share the gospel. Some of them had moved there because they'd come from different places because of persecution. Some had been at Pentecost, there to celebrate Pentecost, heard the gospel and were saved. And when the persecution came, went back to where they were originally from. And now they're thinking, hey, listen, we need to go somewhere else now and proclaim the gospel. So they go there. The Jerusalem church hears this and say, hey, let's send Barnabas to invest in that church and help with the leadership to train leaders and, and to disciple believers and to give some strength and stability and spiritual maturity. That They send Barnabas. Man, the people are getting saved and, and the ministry is growing. And Barnabas says, I can't do all this myself. It'd be worth my time to leave here go all the way over to Tarsus and hunt up and down till I find Saul, bring him back. And for a year, they invested in the church. And the church is to be equipped and matured to be like Christ. So look at what happened in verse, third, in verse uh, 20, uh, yes, verse 26. And the disciples were called, what's the next word? Read it out. Christians, Christians first in Antioch. They did not give themselves that title. They referred to themselves as believer, believers, disciples, people of the way. Who gave them that title? Unbelievers who observed their lives. They said, you are Christ followers. Now, some people think, and it may be true, that there was this aspect of derision to it. That it was kind of, oh, you're little Christs. And so it could have been mocking. But the observation was that these people were so transformed by the message of the gospel that they were committed followers of Jesus Christ and they were becoming like what they had heard about Jesus was like. So the investment of the Jerusalem church to send Barnabas, Barnabas' effort then to bring Saul, all of that as they are investing in the discipleship of the believers so that the believers could come in the unity of the faith and understand the word of God so that they could be matured, so that they could be equipped to do the work of the ministry, so that the whole body of Christ could strengthen and we could build one another. The Bible says we're to edify one another, we're to exhort one another. You find the apostle Paul giving that admonition throughout uh, the, the New Testament epistles that the spirit of God had him write. And we see this happening in Antioch. And you know what happened? Because they were faithful to assemble as a church, to respond to the teaching and be faithful with the gospel. They had such a powerful impact in their community that people said, Those are, there, go, there go little Christs. There goes people of Christ. There go people who are loyal and are followers and imitators of Jesus Christ. Guess what? It worked. The purpose was for them to become in the image of Christ. They were so in the likeness of Christ. Heathens said, that person's in the image of Christ. That is my passion as a pastor here. That we would see people saved. And then as they're saved, we would disciple them. And all of us would continue to exhort and challenge one another as we would all continue to grow and mature and be more equipped in the work of the ministry. That we would recruit others to help us in the work of the ministry, thereby even discipling and training them to do the work of the ministry and working together as co-laborers, investing through this local church, the truths of the Word of God, and our personal investments in one another so that all of us become so much like Christ that anybody in our community points us out and says, there's a Christian. Not because we have a witness wear t-shirt on or a Christian tattoo or something else. 
but because our life is stamped with the image of Christ in our character. And it changes the way we talk and choose and react and speak. And by the way, I'm telling you this. I'm probably more convicted about this than anybody here. That God is doing this in my life. That I'd be transformed more in the image of Christ. It'd be more obvious to unbelievers that have no clue who I am. That they would see I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Before I even open my mouth. But when I do, it would confirm what they suspected. And that we would not be ashamed of Christ or of his gospel. And then look, third of all, at the expression of the church through obedience. Look at the last three verses. These were what we read this morning uh, during our offering time that I told you we were going to talk about. The Bible says in verse 27, In those days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. Again, we see the Jerusalem church ministering and investing in this church at Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout the world or a drought, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man, according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. There's a couple of things that I want you to see here. One of these reverts back to when the church sent, first of all, sent Barnabas. And that is the Jerusalem church sent Barnabas to benefit the church at Antioch. By way of illustration, kind of give you a practical illustration of that. The Aldridges, who've been faithful here in ministry for years and serving the Lord here, went a little over a year ago to help plant Hamilton Mills Church. It's not a direct initiative of Berean Baptist Church. They actually, those guys are out of Killian Hills. But they went to Hamilton Mills to plant a church. And they've invested there. And you know what we do? Like Barnabas, we rejoice in the grace of God and what he's doing over there. We miss them here. We miss their ministry here. But we rejoice that the gospel is expanding and believers are going to be discipled. And they're going to be invested in by the Aldridges while they are serving there. Because where they're going, they are proclaiming the word and they're investing in the church. And you know what? When, when people leave here and they go other places, we miss them. There's a part of us that grieves that they're not part of our church body because we love them, we appreciate them, we enjoy them. But you know what? We rejoice when they leave to go. Now listen, if you leave because you're disgruntled or don't like something because we're not doing things the way you want them to be done, you need to have a heart check with God and make sure your attitude is right. And if you've got an issue, come and see me or one of the pastors. There may be something that we're missing. We're not omniscient. All right? And there may be something that we need to deal with legitimately and you have a concern. Don't just leave without saying something. Come and tell us. We would invite that, anything you have. It's like when I was at Bob Jones University on the back of the dorm room. It said in capital letters, griping, not tolerated. Helpful suggestions appreciated. And your helpful suggestions are appreciated. But I'm going to challenge you with this. If you come to me with a helpful suggestion, I expect you to be part of the solution. And not just point out the problem and say, now y'all deal with it. If God's brought it to your attention, it's because he intends you to also be a help in the solution. All right? But if God moves you from here somewhere else because he's scattering you abroad, or he moves because of ministry in your heart, whether it's to another part of the United States or another city within our state, or somewhere around the world for the sake of the gospel, we will miss you, but we will rejoice that the church, that the gospel of Christ is expanding around the world through your ministry. 
And we want to do what we can to support and encourage that. While we are here, we want to equip the church for the work of the ministry. And as we can express through our obedience, we will send folks out and support them so that, because you know what? It's not about the kingdom of Maria and it's about the kingdom of Christ. It's not about only this local assembly of believers, but about Christ's church. There was a unity and a collaboration of the church at Antioch with the church of Jerusalem, not only with Barnabas, but now we also see that they've sent prophets from Jerusalem up to Antioch. But we also see that God ministers, God's people minister through the local church. As they heard of this need, they began to set aside funds, every man according to his ability, so proportional giving, so that they could take up a collection, and then they sent by, by trustworthy men to trustworthy men this money to help that church. The church was investing in the church. They gave proportionate to God's prospering through the church to meet the needs of the church. One writer said, they gave according to the ability of their resources. Those who had more gave more, referencing proportional giving. It also means that they gave according to the ability of their faith, trusting that their gift to God's work was a worthy investment in his kingdom and not a loss. And then one more. This is very challenging. All right. This is not original with me. I'm quoting verbatim uh, another preacher. He said, we also see they were determined to give. If a person does not determine to give, they often never do. It is not my business, and I have no idea what anybody here ever gives in any offering. It's not my business, and I don't want to know. All right? And I can say, you're missing out on God's blessing, right? Because God prospers those, prosper those who prioritize him with tithes and offerings, and that would be true. I can say you're missing out on the blessing of giving and seeing God use your resources to transform lives. And I could say that, but that's not my main emphasis. My main question this morning is, do you have a purposeful plan for giving that you have come to from a search of the scriptures, a prayerful asking of God to work in your heart to lead you, and then following the desires that God has placed in your heart to give and invest whether in this ministry or some aspect of this ministry or our missionaries or some other ministry. But I'll tell you this, giving and investing in God's kingdom, whether it's financial or whether it's through service, does not happen by accident. It must happen according to purpose, purpose to follow Christ, purpose to serve him. We see the expansion of the church, we see the equipping of the church, and we see the expression of the church in this end of Acts. May God work in our hearts that we may be used of God, that we would be a church like Antioch that is not just growing in numbers, though a great number turned to the Lord. And we'd love that because the more folks that get saved, that's the more people that are going to be in heaven with us for all of eternity. That's more folks that we can invest in and disciple and equip to be more like Christ. It's more people we can rejoice and celebrate the goodness of God together. So yeah, it's not about numbers as in bragging at a pastor's meeting to other pastors about how many were in attendance. It's about wanting to see as many people trust Christ, genuinely come to Christ and be born again and be part of his family. We are about that, but we're not just about numbers. We're about growing spiritually, each person more in the maturity, in the likeness of Christ. 
so that we can express our faith through the way that we give and the way that we serve in a way that reflects the character of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him as your savior, if there's any doubt in your mind that if you were to drop dead today, and I pray that doesn't happen, but if you were to drop dead today, if you were to fall asleep tonight and die in your sleep, where would your soul be? You can know that you have eternal life. It's through faith only in Jesus Christ. Have you turned from yourself and your sin and put your trust, your faith, in the personal Savior, Jesus Christ? If not, I'd invite you to trust Him today. Let's bow our heads. I will not have a come forward invitation this morning. I will have a come backward this morning invitation. You say, what does that mean? It means that right now in a moment, as Miss Becky plays our invitation song, that you would worship God through a heart response that submits, that is obedient to Him, that is available, making yourself available to Him as a vessel and an instrument recognizing it must be the power of the hand of God upon you to have effective service. It may be that the Holy Spirit spoke to you about somebody that you know that should and could be a part of our local assembly and be here on a regular basis and be invested in. It may be the Spirit of God has just spoken to you to be the one who lovingly goes to them and invites them and encourages them and does all you can to facilitate them coming here and being a part of things here at Breen Baptist Church. Folks, I'm not, I am not about building my church. This is Christ's church. And it's not just about this local church. It's about the body of Christ. But we want to do all we can for his glory. And if God has spoken to you in that way, or maybe God has spoken to you about beginning to give purposefully to ministries or to expand that, if it is you realize there are some things where you've kind of grown to the point where you think that you've arrived spiritually and you were challenged this morning, no, I still need to pursue the perfection of Christ. Or maybe I need to share the gospel, believing and understanding God is still saving souls. I don't know what your need is with the Lord this morning, but as Miss Becky right now begins to play her invitation song, would you prayerfully do business with God?